0: Ladies and gents, uh, welcome back to another Engineers Podcast. Thanks for joining us. We've got Simon Perryman joining us today, um, who's going to talk about a really interesting subject, hiring software engineers in San Francisco. And we'll be uncovering what that looks like in his experience. He's ex-EA, he's ex-Amazon, he's ex-Twitch, and uh, I think in this episode, we're going to learn a lot about what to do, what not to do, and maybe uncovering more truths uh, about what it is really like. Simon, thanks for joining us, mate.
1: Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm really excited to be here. I've, uh, I've, I've been a follower of the, of the show for a while now, so it's good to be here finally. Pleasure.
0: Pleasure. Do you want to give an intro into you and some of your background?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so I grew up in London. Um, I started a company straight out of university in my 20s. Uh, I ran that for about seven or eight years. Um, very, very small thing. Nothing nothing exciting, really. Um, doing sort of web development and IT support, stuff for law firms. Um, I moved to EA uh, in 2010 to yep. head up a uh, a global incident and launch practice so we were launching live service games um tens of millions of daily players sort of social games mobile games that kind of thing uh, ea had no experience doing that at all so i sort of came in and, and built uh, a technical program management function owned some sre teams uh sort of geared around launching an, an incident response for when launches didn't go well That was obviously a very fortunate time in the industry because um gaming overall was sort of forever changed from this world where you write code you send that code to a duplication factory they burn it to a disc and send it to be sold in tesco's or asda or whatever uh into this world where there are servers behind every game they're always online you have to keep updating them um so having that skill set a little bit early meant that uh I got pulled into a lot of very weird projects for very senior people at EA, where I would be. Uh, people would phone me and explain that they had already booked my flights, and that it would be awfully nice if I could be in Canada <laughs> uh, tonight. Um, I like lived with a, a go bag next to my desk for about a year, just being sent off to all these random spots where live service games were launching, and having to ask very awkward questions like, y- "You do have an on-call rotor, right?" People are like what we're going on holiday we're finished now like no like launches when it starts everything before that that's the easy bit um so that was fun uh pretty stressful but that that's kind of what got me the attention of some people out in the bay area who um had some fairly persistent problems with a big mobile game uh simpsons tapped out which was pretty huge i mean it was top of the app store for a while sort of back in 2012 13 i think so that's what ended up getting me a visa to move out to San Francisco. Uh, did that for a few years, uh, found my way via a mobile games company into Twitch, where, um, again, you know, lots of opportunity, lots yeah. of um, lots of challenge. It was a company of about 150, I think, when I joined, about a year and a half post-acquisition by Amazon. Okay. Uh but really sort of at that inflection point of scale where they had the resources, but really none of the processes, none of the mechanisms, none of the procedures to get stuff done. So I ended up hiring, I don't know, I, I lost count, probably 200 and something people in, in my time there. Yeah. Um, that led to, you know, building teams and teams and teams, lots of manager hiring, lots of um, team building, Business case pitching justification that kind of stuff came up with alongside a couple of colleagues, we came up with the idea of taking the twitch tech stack uh making it more widely available to a w s customers, yeah, which is how we started building uh, amazon i v s which was a uh is a very very good low latency live video system that a w s offers to customers. So we built and launched that through the pandemic, which was, oh boy, that was a very interesting experience. Um, Very proud to say that I launched an AWS service. Uh, The the challenge of getting that done through the pandemic was significant.
0: Especially in gaming as well. When gaming was nuts during the pandemic, Twitch, I swear, just blew up out of nowhere as well. I Mm. remember one of my mates just saying to me like have you seen this before? Smart TV, stuck on yep. Twitch, and you, yep. I was like, what are all these streamers doing on here? I was like, mm-hmm. this is nuts.
1: I, I probably shouldn't share precise numbers, but on the the like three days after Italy locked down, Italy was the first country that went into lockdown that we had um, really significant viewership in. So we, you know, other places had already done it, but we had sort of fairly limited data. You know, we didn't have a ton of a ton of viewers or a ton of broadcasters there. Italy was the first country and um, we had to change the scale on our viewership graphs uh, three days after they went into lockdown, which was um, to, to anyone who, you know, to, to, to the engineers in the room, anyone who's done sort of infrastructure planning, that's very scary. Uh, there's a lot of things there that are not just purely elastic, you know, like you can't, just consume more resources infinitely, right? So, um, yeah, keeping up with the the existing demand whilst building a new service was was a really interesting set of challenges. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, it was it was very cool. I mean, it was it was a great experience, and I'm I'm really really happy to have had it. But uh, it was it was a challenge, which sort of led me through to December last year, which is when I left Amazon. And I am now a coach, uh, an investor, and a strategic advisor. Enjoying it very much. So Um, I get I get the bits of the job that I really enjoyed. I get to have um, 15 hours a week of conversations with really smart, really motivated, driven people. Mm -hmm. Um, I get to be yeah, I get to be a coach. I get I get to be sort of instrumental and a a force multiplier in the work that they are doing. Yeah. I don't have to talk to HR. I don't have to go to budget meetings. I don't have to worry about headcount. Like a, a lot of the 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 sort of the stuff that you do as an engineering leader so that you get to work on the cool problems and do the neat stuff. Yeah, that's that's kind of gone for me right now. It's it's pretty <clears throat> it's pretty fantastic. Uh I can just force multiply and, and come back in a week and go, How did it go?
0: Like, yeah, yeah it went great. Was, or like,
1: oh no, that was terrible.
0: I was gonna say Sorry. you don't need a go bag you um you don't need to be there at launch you can coach yep. at launch but you don't need to be there love it yep
1: yeah it's uh it's a great it's a great place to be right now i i mean in all honesty i i suspect i will get bored i'm not i'm not particularly good at at taking it easy but for the last 12 months or so it's been good. it's been perfect yeah just what i needed
0: all those years back and you you even may see this now, or when you were hiring two hundred odd people at Twitch. What's the visa process like being sponsored into an organization in the US? There's lots around it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So I should caveat here. Um. Everything we're going to talk about is from a fairly limited perspective. Like I came here on a particular path. Um. The companies I've worked at here are fairly large, which gives them access to certain um visa systems and things that aren't applicable more generally. I also came from the UK, which which again changes things, right? Like depending on, on your country of origin, you yeah, you know, if you come from Canada, for instance, right, like there's a fairly different visa system that it arguably a lot easier to use than someone coming from Europe. So I can absolutely talk about my experiences. Uh, you know not a lawyer don't know that much about immigration law would absolutely encourage folks to you know do their own yeah. research um i came on an l1a visa so l1 is intercompany transfer mm-hmm. which means you have been working for a company that has offices in the us outside the us for at least 1 year cool um two kinds l1a is like a management track L1B is a specialized individual contributor. Yeah. Depending on the company that you work for. So big companies tend to have like, uh, I think it's called a a blanket approval, Mm -hmm. which means that the US State Department has said, okay, we trust you. You're not going to abuse this process. If you tell us, hey, this person's a specialist. They're the only person who can do this. Cool, cool. We believe you um let's let's make it happen smaller companies don't have that so you have to sort of go through a few more a few more hoops you have to sort of i think there's some a burden of proof you have to prove that uh someone in the u.s can't already do the job that kind of thing um but the l1 is very very easy between like i got a job offer i think i got a job offer at the beginning of march like finally finalized on paperwork started speaking to the attorney's um, I got a package back from the attorneys by sort of the second week of March. My embassy appointment was a week later. I had a visa back in my hand by like the twentieth of March, I think, and I flew on the twenty-third. That's um, nice. All the stuff building up to that, the the company side stuff, getting the offer all of that was obviously complicated and you know, but that was on, on EA, not not on the process. Um I also know someone who's, who's on an L1B who had a lot more hassle. Um, but generally, I think if it's smooth sailing, um, you know, no criminal records or anything in the home country, you know, it, I, tricky, I know, for Europeans, because often um, for things like background checks, uh, background checking agencies uh, will want to see police reports from every country you've lived in. Yeah, Which, you know, if you've lived in three or four different European countries, like, ugh, that can be a real pain. Um, but yeah, L1A, L1B, pretty simple, pretty quick. Um, the only piece of advice I would offer is if, you're cons- if you get this sort of offer extended to you, have a look at um, what the green card terms are with your employer. Okay. Uh, make sure that there is a process to convert you from an L1A to a green card. Find out when that process can begin. Lots of companies will say, oh, well, yes, we'll sponsor your green card in 12 months or 24 months or whatever. Um, That's a fairly stressful place to be. I say this from a tremendous, tremendous position of privilege. You know, lots of folks live there in, you know, large parts of their life in this kind of situation. And I I can't imagine how tough that must be. Um, But on an L1, if you lose your job, you go home. You can't apply for a different job. There is no... You know, that's it. You're done. You're going home. So if you've been here 20 months, you know, you've made friends, you've built a life, you've probably signed a lease, you might have bought a car, you know, you, this is your life. Like it's where you live. And then there's a layoff at work and suddenly, you know, you get yeah. sent home. It's pretty stressful. So anything you can do to get that green card sooner is is really, really powerful. Oh. Um, H1B is a very, very common option. Each year, there's like a pool of a couple of hundred thousand uh, visas, People can apply to get into that pool. Um, it's often very oversubscribed, um, but yeah, I, I think that's probably H one B probably makes up the bulk of folks working here from from outside the US. Yeah, uh, don't know a ton about it. Have had a ton of employees who've used it and, and sort of gone through the process. Yeah, um, but yeah, it. it I, I think if you've got if you've got the skill sets, it's it's not impossible but you have to be fairly determined and i think one of the things that people don't think about is once you've decided you want to make the move you apply for your visa you kind of put your life on hold a little bit like even when i was doing it with my l1 i decided i wanted to move in like early 2012 a couple of different potential things internally at ea came up but they fell through but also like I'm not making long-term decisions in the UK because I'm thinking about leaving and that can become quite stressful, particularly if you're applying for sort of a H1B with a pool and you don't get it this year. Like, are you willing to sort of punt some of those decisions another year and see if you get it the following year? Yeah. Um, Not a big deal. Just something sort of small to think about.
0: No, it is good to think about. In your experience, let's use SF as an example, because it'd be really difficult to look at the the whole of the U.S. What's your experience in San Francisco with companies sponsoring, let's say, H-1B visas? Is it a regular and done thing are you finding?
1: Um. If you already have a H1, yes, not a okay. problem at all. People will absolutely hire you and put you on their books and everything will be fine. Yep, not a problem at all. Um, I think in a situation where you are overseas and you know they, they want to bring you to the US, I, I think that's much rarer. Um, just because of the complexities around getting a H1. Uh, in my experience, usually what happens is, um, say that, you know, we'll we'll make it easy. Say that you start talking to the company in December, like, yep, we really want your skills. We'll hire you in January. You know, you start, we'll apply for the H1 in like March, April, I think is kind of when the window opens and closes sometime around spring. We'll apply for that. If we get that great, that's awesome. If not following January, once you've been with the company a year, we'll pop you on an L1 and you can come in using the L1. Got you. Um, That's much more common in my experience.
0: Got you. Can can we talk about some of those 200 hires at Twitch Mm -hmm. and how you set up your engineering interviews and why? After, I I want to uncover what SF is doing in in Mm -hmm. terms of engineering hiring and what's the hiring culture, but... First, let's talk about your process and your ideas around hiring at Twitch.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that I I was pretty lucky at Twitch. We had a really strong recruiting team, and we got to borrow from... um, I'm going to sound a little bit biased here. Uh, We got to borrow from what I think of as one of the best hiring processes on earth. Yeah. Uh, Amazon... I mean, I, I joined Amazon at about... 70 ish thousand employees and when i left it was uh i i had been out in six years uh, i i was uh longer tenured than 93 percent of amazon like it was it was nearly two million i think when i left um it grew tremendously and, you know, the share price increased, you know, the, the product quality kept up. So uh stealing from Amazon hiring processes, I think, was really powerful. We did adapt it a little bit to sort of suit Twitch more culturally. Um, I think that the thing to really sort of pinpoint here is that the bigger companies are they're playing a very different game, I think, to to the way I've seen hiring done in the UK. Um the Bay Area is full of like the best talent on earth, right? It's super competitive. People are coming here from all over the world to get these, these jobs in tech. The the salaries are phenomenal. You know, everything is great. So um, there's a lot more emphasis placed on both results and execution, but also on culture. Um, one of the things I saw when, you know, some of the hires I made didn't work out, obviously, right? No one has this perfect, perfect record, generally though, those hires didn't fail for technical reasons. They failed for cultural reasons, team reasons, people reasons. And that trend is absolutely mirrored within Amazon. Um, Again, I'm not going to share the exact numbers here, but the vast majority of Amazon technical people that lose their jobs don't lose their jobs for technical reasons okay they 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 leave because of personality clashes inability to work with other people cannot earn trust like just cannot get stuff done and i think one of the things that was really shocking to me was how google facebook amazon uh yeah a little bit i mean any of the anywhere you've got more than a couple of thousand people There is a very defined cultural way of getting stuff done. Mm -hmm. The interview process has to select people who can get stuff done in that culture, Mm -hmm. right? You can be right. You can be smart. You can be the best coder on earth. I, unless I have a completely solo problem, Like, if I can pack you off to a a ranch somewhere in northern Oregon and you can sit there and and work on an algorithm with no help from anybody else, and you just tell me when it's done and then someone else implements it, yeah, great. Maybe I do want the smartest coder on earth. And there definitely are roles for that kind of thing. But generally, what I'm looking for is people who are smart enough to solve the problems and able to do that with others in a team environment, in a group. Mm -hmm. So... My interview process was essentially for—I mean, it varies by level. I'm going to talk broadly, and we, if you, you know, if you want specifics, we can dive in. But it's about six hours, seven total, right? You're going to do a quick call with a recruiter after we've looked at your resume and said, "Yep, this person's interesting." is going to cover the legal stuff, discrimination stuff, visas, eligibility for work—you know, basic stuff like that. You're going to do 30 minutes on the phone with the hiring manager, um, provided that all goes well. Gonna, I mean, it, we call them on-sites, but obviously COVID really put paid in-person <laughs> interviews, but uh, we would put together a panel of sort of four to six people that you meet for about an hour each. Two of them are going to be fairly technical. So you might get like a, a whiteboarding, like, hey, how would you approach designing this kind of problem? Hmm. Usually to figure out how people think about constraints, how they elaborate use cases, how well they focus on users versus how well they focus on the tech, that, that sort of thing. Uh, another one of them might be like a, a much more sort of structured sort of coding type thing. The other four people are going to be there doing what we call behavioral interviewing. Um, I don't, I'm sure you know what that is, uh, yeah. given what you do, but, but but like to explain it to people who, in the UK, I had never encountered it. Um, behavioral interviewing is asking questions that basically start with, can you tell me about a time? Can you give me an example of... Based on the idea that prior performance is the best indicator of of future potential. Uh, So can you give me an example of a time you disagreed passionately with a coworker? Right. Really good way to get signal on how people handle conflict or how they have handled conflict. Right. Gets you out of hypotheticals like, hey, imagine you disagree with someone. What would you do? Everyone can give you brilliant hypotheticals. Oh, I'd handle that with skill and diplomacy sure but like tell me about a time you did it let me dig in a little bit you know let me get to the real nitty-gritty there so four of the six are going to be about examples of stuff that you have done usually companies will tie them to the leadership values so uh, one of amazon's values is be right a lot so i might ask a question like can you give me an example of a time that you were absolutely sure of the best path but product management and engineering management disagreed with you. You know how well did you stick to your guns? How committed were you? How did you convince people? How did you influence? Like that kind of thing. Um, Twitch had a value which was um, creators first, referencing that without creators, Twitch is nothing. So you know, can you give an example of a time that you have fought for something you believed one of your customers or users needed? Right. Those kinds of questions are really powerful. And that's going to be the bulk of my hiring process because the technical stuff provided you're pretty close, like you you can learn, we can teach you to, we can teach you our coding styles, right? Like we can teach you the standards and, you know, we can get you mentorship because we've got the resources. Like the the thing that's really important is like, can you take feedback? Can you give feedback? Are you going to get on with folks? Are you going to work in this culture? So that's how I structured things for uh, interviewing and hiring at Twitch.
0: Love it. That's really in depth. How many people? So, these 200 people, how long, how long a time did it take you to hire these people in?
1: Uh, It varies wildly. So, in my first, I think, first nine weeks, I hired 23 people, which, was considered oh my like no one's really done that before at twitch like that was pretty pretty groundbreaking um i think i did i think 2017 i did 45 people in about nine months uh that was new locations like that was opening an office in in utah an office in london um but yeah i mean other ones are just sort of backfills and you, you know it, it varies right it depends how much of a focus it was for me what, what do
0: you think your biggest challenge was?
1: Um, and I mean we that lost probably our, more
0: from like a competitive standpoint as well, as in competing gotcha. with other organizations.
1: Yeah. Um, we lost all of our recruiting team on two separate occasions, so that was fun. Uh, I had to spend two days a week hiring recruiters at one point and, and literally rebuilding. There were, we, we kept one person recruiting. He was the only person who stayed. Me and that person teamed up to rebuild recruiting from the ground up. So that was a challenge. Um, didn't know a lot about hiring recruiters. Uh, I would argue I still don't, but it sort, sort of worked, I guess. Um, in terms of like competitiveness, there was a period where Uber was um, tricky for us to compete with just because they were able to give out really large amounts of of uh, non-public stock. Whereas Amazon's comp bans are very rigid. Um, Facebook also, there was a period there. I remember getting into a bidding war with Facebook, which was... <laughs> I can't remember. I, like, I think we offered 300 engineer came back and said well facebook offered me like 350 and we're like okay um 400 that's it that's the best we can do and then he came back and said facebook offered me 550 but i have to sign within 24 hours we're like what like, not 425 like facebook upped us by 150 and put a 24 hour expiry on it i'm like i'm
0: yeah. happy for you man like well done well done like that's He's just doubled his salary. Well, yes. About to offer him 300 K and he's walked away with five fifty. He or she. Yes. That's nuts.
1: Not that uncommon, honestly. Really? I mean, I think the thing that, the thing that was a real big shock for me coming from the UK is the prevalence of equity compensation. And the gamble that you take with equity compensation. Like I have a couple of friends, um, one of whom joined Amazon a couple of years ago um, and we'll assume their salary was, you know, just for a a given value. Their salary was a hundred. I have another friend around about the same time, very similar levels of seniority, was very smug because they joined Facebook and their salary was 200. If you fast forward to today, person who joined Amazon is making 35% more than person who joined Facebook who was originally making twice as much as them.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? Yeah. Like, it's not uncommon at senior levels. I mean, senior IC levels, mid to senior IC levels at the big, you know, Facebook, um, Google, Amazon, you will probably see 60% of your comp, maybe 70, as equity. Yeah. So if that equity triples in value yeah wow you've had an awesome year if it falls by a ton you know you've had a not so great year
0: do do you see this often as well in sf outside some of the big names like a facebook amazon uber i'm using the examples that we've just discussed but you see it with other companies non-public stock they just throw it at people
1: yeah. I mean the the challenge that you have with non-public stock is obviously like it it, it could be a trillion dollars. Yeah. It could also be zero. Um I think in general there is a fairly fairly limited understanding of how to value non-public offers. Um because obviously when you no offense when you speak to recruiters yeah they're trying to sell you on the roll (laughs) um they're going to you know play up that you know we're valued at a billion now uh the next round of fundraising is being done at eight billion so that's an 8x value increase in your in your private stock wow like that's that's you know you're giving me a million dollars of private stock over four years and you're telling me at the next valuation it's going to be that's 2 million a year on top of the 200 base. Like, wow, like this is, you know, I'm a mid-level engineer. Like in theory, I'm making 2.2 $2 million a year now. Like, wow. Yes. Yeah, great. If you can stick around for five years, if the company goes public, if that curve continues, you're going to do fantastically. But there's a lot of ifs in that sentence
0: yeah.
1: that, you know, make it fairly high risk, especially nowadays. And I mean, I'm... I'm old, I'm grumpy, I'm cynical, like <laughs> sure. But I think like there's fun in startups, like chasing that chasing that culture, chasing that dream, chasing that product you really care about, working with the amazing team. It's it's great. It's it's really awesome. The early days of Twitch when I was there were truly, truly magical. I can only imagine what they were two years before, you know, as a private company without the you know, without Amazon having bought it out. I think it would have been. Some of my best friends now are people who were at Twitch pre-acquisition. You know, like culturally we gelled. It was it was a lot of fun to work with those folks. I think take the risks, enjoy them. I would just encourage people to think really hard about valuing those offers. Yeah, because you know you can make like the sure thing money. I, I think if you go back twenty years, the sure thing money didn't really exist. You know, you could make. 100, 150 maybe in a sure thing job but you had very strict rules, you had bosses you had 10 days vacation a year you know. or you could go to a startup and you could make 80 a year with the potential to make 10 million, 20 million I think now like even the folks I've seen who've, who've taken startup deals and, and they've worked out reasonably well probably make 50% more than they probably would have made doing a comparable thing at a big company for the same amount of time
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. So, uh, there are exceptions, obviously, but...
0: No, I get you. Okay. Well, what do you think startups are indexing on with with their hiring of engineers? You know, we've spoken about Amazon and interviewing, Stark. Is the startup scene different and why?
1: It is, yeah. Um, the startup scene is very different Because you have to find people who don't want to take astronomical amounts of money to go and work at the big companies. Um, If I go back to 2019, I am aware of returning interns, right? Come do an internship at at a company. That company makes you an offer. You come back in a year or 18 months or whenever you graduate. Those people, those packages were $225,000 packages. no years professional experience. Yeah. Like maybe two internships, you know, 6 months professional experience total. 225. So if you're a startup, you're trying to find smart, brilliant people who don't want to go and work at these these big spots, right? You're looking for folks who are mission driven, not cash driven necessarily. So there's also, I mean there was uh, I've been out of of the market for like a year now um i think things have changed a lot in that year you know i'm I'm sort of talking about pre-pandemic pre sort of recession so it may be very very different on the ground today but there's just a ton of startups here so as a startup you're competing with all the other startups at a similar stage as you you're also competing with all of the fan companies um so yeah you you are I think there is a lot more compromise in startups around the the cohesion and the soft skill type stuff. There is a lot more room for, uh, and I, I hate the expression "rock star engineer," yeah. Uh, but there is a there is a lot more space for a couple of brilliant people who can go away and achieve the work of a team. Yeah, right? you are not really thinking about stability; you are thinking about that next fundraise, that next launch.
0: I was going to say speed, get something to market before someone else does because there's brilliant minds in San Francisco. And if you've got that idea, someone else probably has that idea speed to get to market. So I could imagine that there's a bit of a paradigm shift with who we're hiring here. If you're a startup versus, you know, deep pockets of Facebook, Amazon, whoever.
1: Yeah. You come back and you fix all the technical debt and you fix all the the big problems um. yeah, you, you, you fix them once you've been acquired or gone public. You know, <laughs> like you, you fix them much further out. Or if they are blocking you getting that product market fit or that new release or whatever, like, yeah, you might give them a little bit of attention. Um, It's interesting. One of the things I'm seeing a lot of right now is like uh, dev tooling startups Yeah, who are like, we'll eliminate all technical debt. It just requires a big investment to integrate our product. And all of the startups I know are like, oh, we just don't we don't care. Like, yeah. nothing, anything we do that is not core mission really is a waste. Like, we will just incur the technical debt. We will fix it when we can. Okay. Uh, you know, you're not, it, it's a little bit more like the UK contracting scene, I think, right? Like, in a lot of cases, you are, you're on a project. You, you are building a single thing the thought to how you're going to run that later, how it's going to be maintained, how it's going to be stabilized, eh, that's legitimately somebody else's problem. Like exactly. if you find product market fit, you will probably find the resources to go back and fix those problems. Yeah. If you don't find product market fit, you don't exist. Yeah, you will run out of VC money. Like you, you will not get past series A, like it won't happen. So it's all about getting getting that market fit, proving you have a business. Then worrying about you know how you go back and rationalize your source control or your coding standards or the fact that you're in six different repos and you know
0: that's quite a good analogy the uk contract market is is it literally like that as in 10 years at companies look like 9 months to a year or some of what i've heard and people go to different companies project and that's it
1: um I, I think that the, the the differences around things like healthcare and, and sort of benefits, as they're called here, mean that folks are pretty wary of frequent job hopping. Okay. So you might join a startup and be at that startup until, like, if I look at a resume that has a bunch of short stints on it and that companies I know didn't survive, that doesn't give me, it doesn't even, like, I don't like to ask that question anyway. I don't really care what you why you had a career break? That's none of my business. Like, as long as you can do the job and have you know good answers to the behavioral questions, uh, I know other hiring managers are like, oh, where were you for this six months? Like, I I hate that crap. But um if you've been at companies that just haven't made it, like, okay, m- maybe you have bad luck. Maybe you don't pick employers particularly well. But like, that's fine. It it doesn't look like you're a flight risk. It doesn't look like you're hopping around for you know twenty pounds more a day or whatever whatever it is. Yeah. So yeah, I think ten years tend to be longer. Um, but, yeah, I mean, when, when the idea fails and it runs out of money, yes, people go find new jobs, for sure.
0: Do, do you coach startups on hiring strategies or retention mm-hmm. strategies at all? Yep, absolutely. Quite a lot of that kind of stuff. Do you? Mm-hmm. Do, do you have some hiring principles that you follow?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think the key one, the, the thing that's most important is really understand the role you're hiring for. The amount of times I've seen people just, like, if you don't know the role you're hiring for, the chances of you making a good decision are very, very small. It's (laughs) luck at that point. So being able to articulate, like, the the first thing I challenge hiring managers on is, what is the role? And I often hear things like, well, you know, there's this one person on my team, and I kind of want another one of that. Like, great, no one can work on that job description. No recruiter, no saucer can go out and find you someone just like Mary. Because we don't know Mary. You know what I mean? Like, like this doesn't help us in any way. Like, describe what makes this employee great. What makes this person really, really good at their job. And then let's laser focus that down until we have like three or four things. A couple of technical things, a couple of non-technical things, and then let's go looking for someone you know let's interview with that in mind you know we're gonna get a ton of folks through the door hopefully uh we're gonna to, gonna to speak to a bunch of people Let, let's laser focus on those few competencies that really make that person successful uh later stage companies tend to have values um mission statements tenants values principles whatever you want to call them or amazon's leadership principles um twitch had values right like well, i don't remember what ea called them but Um, hopefully those values, if they're done well, represent your company. Bring those to the interview. If you care about how inclusive someone is, grill them on it. Find examples of of how they've done these things. If you care about how quickly people provide feedback, and if they provide feedback in good ways, make that a focus, right? Give that, of those sort of four people doing behavioral stuff that I mentioned earlier, give them two, two areas each to cover. Like that's eight things, right? What are the eight key traits that you think are going to be most, you know, make this person the most successful they can be? Yeah. So that's that's sort of the principles.
0: That's some pretty good feedback. That's some pretty good feedback. Uh, Are you able to share anything about some of the startups that you're advising on before we wrap up? I think it's been a, a quality 40 minutes on your journey um some of the hiring landscape, nuts and probably shocking for some people as well in good ways. Um <laughs> but help us wrap up with uh, anything that you're working on that's that's of particular interest.
1: Uh yeah, absolutely. Uh so I'm working with a company called Maca Live, M-A-K-A-L-I-V-E. Cool. Um they are doing uh live streamed uh e- fashion e-commerce. It's cool. Nigeria, uh, That's cool. it's an amazing team. I really, really enjoy working with the folks. Um, the problems that we have—I'll uh, I'll send you a link over. Um, yeah, I've got it. Include it in the show notes or whatever. Um, the the problems that these folks are grappling—I was on a—I did actually get pinged about a, an outage they were having a little while ago. They asked me if I could jump in and help, and. Power cuts in the office, internet outages, like complicating troubleshooting. Um it, it's it's so, so cool to see something so innovative that's like really gaining traction and and, and taking off. Um it's yeah, it's really, really fun. Um probably not super applicable to, to to most of your audience, but I think it's just a really, really cool thing. Uh there may be some jobs coming up there soon as well. So um if folks are interested in maybe learning a bit more about it, um,
0: We'll we'll drop a link for sure. We'll drop a link. I think um, what we should do is is catch up in six to twelve months and see see where the evolution of some of these startups are. Um, talk a little bit about them, what they're doing, what they're building, and uh, a general catch up on on the hiring landscape. And I can come a little bit more prepared and be a little bit more proactive. Oh, absolutely. That would be really it's,
1: fun. This has been great
0: discussion. Simon, so I want to say a big thanks for for coming to share your experience with going to the US, challenges of visas. You know, it's a common question we get asked. It's, it's a question that uh, not necessarily people expect us to know the answers, but I think we do find engineers genuinely interested in UK, Europe, US. Um, so it's good to have some more context. It's good to have uh, some of the experience around some of the hiring discussions that you have with engineers in SF and also what the startup scene is doing. Um, so a massive thanks.
1: No worries. Uh, again, thank you for having me. Uh, one thing I will I'll, I'll sort of leave on um, folks can just find me on LinkedIn. Uh, if they want to reach out and ask like, Hey, I'm thinking about moving. Is there anything I should, you know, if, if folks just, I'm very happy to take those kinds of questions. Um, I think one of the things that I'm really lucky is that right now I have time and space to kind of give back and I would not be here if it wasn't for tremendous amounts of help from other people. So if I can, you know, provide some comfort, some advice, a a little bit of context, you know, like I'm very, very happy to do that. So um, folks can, can find me on LinkedIn. Um, They can also reach out to on the website if they want sort of more formal coachy type stuff. Um, But you know, linkedin is just fine
0: yeah uh, and for everyone listening uh, like share
1: retweet
0: uh, everything is going to go a long way um, to getting this in the hands of some really good people who might genuinely be interested in going to the us so uh, everything is massively appreciated um, from people listening
1: cool thanks Elliot, a lot thank you so much man pleasure
0: Hey guys, thanks for watching this episode. Uh, massively appreciate you listening and checking in with us. If you want to find out more about us and what we're doing, please check us out on social media. What we're trying to do at Engineers is build a community to drive knowledge sharing and experiences. On Twitter, we can be found at engineers.io. It's no underscore. We've also got a website which is engineers.io. These links will all be posted. The description any feedback and comments are massively appreciated we're always looking to improve on where we can thanks guys